Hi, this is Tzvi Freeman for Chabad.org. You may have read some of my articles on the site or seen some of my books. But for now, I want you to just sit back and let me turn your world on its head. Due to a combination of my respiratory history and my age, before the rest of you were locked up, my wife and children had already put me on the endangered species list. Now, despite living in time to get to back work, Georgia, I'm still stuck indefinitely at home. They bring my grandchildren to peer at me through the screened windows, pointing and saying, that's a grandpa, don't come too close. Don't touch now. <laughs> Soon they'll start throwing peanuts. And a little nugnik voice from some dim corner of my mind ruminates on, how long before I can hug one of those grandchildren again? This might sound strange, but since being grounded by my kids, I've been finding a lot of comfort from an 11th century text originally composed in Arabic. Yeah, Bahia ibn Pakuda of Saragossa, Al-Andalus, that's now Spain, or Rabbeinu Bahaya, well, the Sephardim say Bahia, Ashkenazim say Bahaya, whichever one he is. He could be called both a rationalist and a mystic. He was the Dayan, that means the judge for Jewish matters in his city, but he was also concerned that the responsibilities of the human heart had been neglected. And so he wrote, Duties of the Heart, to fill that void. Now, very little is known about Rabbeinu Bachia, Bachaya himself, but the popularity of his work never waned. It's always been a prime book to illuminate the inner life of our hearts, what we love, what we fear, how we think of ourselves while at the same time showing how this has to be expressed in our outer life, how we speak to others, how we do business, how we eat and sleep, and how silly it is to fret and worry. Chapter 2 deals with the heart's need to trust and the serenity that trust buys you. To paraphrase in small part, when you are small, you learn to rely on your mother's breasts for milk. As you gain awareness, you realize there's an entire mother there to rely upon. You grow further to discover there is a father upon whom the mother relies. And one day, you learn to rely upon yourself. But eventually, you must discover that you are not in control. Neither is your father nor your mother. Neither is the most powerful person in your country or in the entire world in control. None of them has the crucial combination of qualities and powers that allow you to place all of your trust in this one person. So who is there to rely upon? Only one, someone who loves you. Two, someone who never ceases to watch over you. 3. Someone who has unlimited power and is undefeatable. 4. Someone who knows what's best for you spiritually and materially. 
Five, someone who has a stellar record of caring for all your needs from the day you were born to this day and will continue to do so. Six, someone in whose hands you lie, all of you, sheltered and cared for without need of recourse to anyone else. Because when you need to trust two people for something, you really don't trust either of them. And seven, someone who cares for you unconditionally, regardless of whether you are worthy or unworthy. And you discover that only one being can fill all of these requirements. And Rabbeinu Bachi elucidates upon each of these at length in the flowing language typical of classical Arabic posts, rich with metaphor. He demonstrates both rationally and from verses of Tanakh how each of these prerequisites complements and magnifies the power of all the others, weaving a perfect net of serenity and confidence to the intellectual as to the believer, and how there is no being on earth or in heaven who can truly fit any of these descriptions other than the single creator and director of all things. So I meditate on this list of seven at night. Then, despite the news I have read that day, despite the precautions I have to take to keep myself safe, despite the general frenzy in the air since a tiny little virus has attacked all of human civilization, I can then sleep a good healing sleep. Almost a thousand years later, Rabbeinu Bach's formula still works. Or does it? Let's step back to prerequisite number five, in which Rabbeinu Bachia invites us to ponder the story of our lives and find divine protection sewn throughout its fabric. Makes sense. Empirical evidence is always assuring. So generations of Jews who suffered ill health, persecution, poverty, extreme violence and war, high infant mortality rates, bitter cold homes in the winter and burning hot homes filled with bugs and stench in the summer, plagues that make our current virus concern look like common cold, back-breaking labor and often days without bread. They followed his advice and saw a divine hand carrying them through every event of their lives. What did they say? It's right there in the prayer book. In famine you nourished us, and in plenty you sustained us. From sword you saved us, from plague you rescued us, and from severe and enduring diseases you spared us. Until now your mercy has helped us, and your kindness has not forsaken us, and you will never abandon us, God, our God, forever. That was them. Modern man, however, with more than twice the longevity and a thousand times the wealth, looks back and only sees reason to quetch and to worry about the future. What happened? Okay, it's not as though there are no real concerns, especially considering the current situation. People have lost parents and loved ones. Our lives have been turned upside down. The economy, 26 million people in America alone, lost their jobs. As many as 7.5 million small businesses at risk. That affects all of us. Yes, we're a resilient and resourceful nation. You can't blame anyone for being worried. 
So Rabbeinu Rabbachia tells us, look at the record. The author of this universe took care of us all this time. Why would he stop now? We want to listen. We want those words to soothe our soul. But all some of us can remember is the disasters. So lots of people think apocalypse. For Jewish people especially, there's a noisy channel in the back of our minds playing Crusades, Spanish Expulsion, Cossack Revolt, Holocaust. The medicine's not working. What went wrong? Okay, well, it would be nice to blame it on the modern mind's perspective of historicity or our scientific objectivity. But intellectual integrity doesn't allow us. Jews were always historically oriented. The rest of the world got it from us. Even before an event has unfolded, Moses was already telling his people, remember this day. Over and over we're told, remember the days of eternity, understand each generation. As for objectivity, our, our ancestors were far from being delusional. They were hard-playing merchants in a tough world. Bachi himself was a rationalist who certainly knew that humanity's history was no Grimm Brothers storybook. And indeed, the phenomena is not exclusive to the modern mind. Go back yet another thousand years or so before Benu Bachi and you'll find the prophets of the Bible chiding the people for just the same syndrome. When you're needy, then you remember your need for your Creator. As soon as those needs are taken care of, you go looking for someone else to serve. Like Moses put it, when Yeshurun, Yeshurun is another code name for the Jewish people, when Yeshurun gets fat, he gets sassy. But the weird part of it all is that, as Rabbeinu Bachya points out, confidence in the future is so dependent upon gratitude for the past. Feeling grateful to someone who is in charge of everything kills worry. So let's call it the Yeshurun complex. The more you get, the harder it gets to feel grateful. The less grateful you feel, the more you worry. The more you worry, the less likely you are to be happy, which renders many financially comfortable people unhappy people. I believe it has to do with a person's self-concept. What's your place in this universe? How powerful are you? How vulnerable are you? If you see yourself as a frail creature that entered this world as a tiny baby naked and utterly helpless on its own, you'll feel very grateful then that you survived more than an hour, that some wolf didn't come to eat you. But human nature is such that as soon as we've managed to pile a few blocks one on top of the other, we see ourselves as the vortex of all life, the crown of existence deserving all things. Like Moses again. And you say, my own power and the might of my own hand have won me all the success. And that's when all the blocks come tumbling down. Because deep down, you know the truth. <laughs> You're not in control of anything. You know you can't trust yourself. You're leaning on a bubble in the air. Ironically, it comes out that the more power you attribute to yourself, the more vulnerable you render yourself, the more you realize just how fragile you really are, the more you will put yourself in divine hands with gratitude and serene confidence and trust. I find that answer very helpful. It provides me a, a turnkey solution to end worry 
and attain gratefulness and thereby the serenity of trust promised by Rabbeinu Bachia. I simply need to switch my default self-image to something more minimalistic. For me personally, that's the memory of my time trekking and hitchhiking across Canada, America, Israel, Europe, and the UK as an adolescent in the early 70s. I carried only a sack with a cheap sleeping bag, often sleeping beneath the stars. I was young, naive, and easy prey to the wolves of human society. Without a doubt, thousands of miracles were needed to keep me alive through those years. And how many more then to keep me to this day? Now, as I lie in bed, I can say, I have a pillow under my head. A miracle! I have a bed upon which to lie. A miracle! There's a wooden floor beneath me, four walls and a roof that does not leak. How many miracles! And I go on counting from there, counting miracles too innumerous to count, wonders too awesome to describe, divine gifts so unabatingly reliable that the kindness and compassion they demonstrate is beyond comprehension. We sit nestled in the loving, caring hands of the one who spoke and the world snapped into existence. He's blessed us until now with his goodness. So how on earth could you be worried? So as with the individual, so too with a nation. King David advised his heir, Solomon, if God doesn't build a house, its builders are wasting their time. If God doesn't protect a city, security is laboring in vain. As the Rebbe often said, America is blessed because it stamps on its money the words, in God we trust. It's that trust that grants you the confidence in the future to go out into the world and stake out your living. Farmers know this well. The Talmud says that farming requires faith that it's only because the farmer has faith in the life of the world, meaning the one from whom all life extends, only because of that that he has the confidence to sow a field and expect a crop the next season. You know, rebuilding an economy after a lockdown requires even greater faith. America, trust in God and go out and rebuild your country. The same with every nation that knows its true place under the heavens. Trust in God and build.